The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Good morning. Hi, my name is Wade. I've uh, been going to Story City for about a year and a half with my amazing fiance, Kate. And I'm a member of the, uh, well, she got more than I got. Okay. Um, but I'm a member of the, uh, the Burb small group, the best small group in the church, right? Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to be reading today uh, Isaiah 58, 3 through 10 in uh, English and Urdu. So here we go. Why have, so, yes, please stand for the word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. Now in Urdu. Wa shikayat kartehem, jab ham rosa raktehem to tu tawaju kyon ni dat. Jab ham apne apko kaksar banakar in kasare ka izar kartehem, to tu dian kyon ni dat. Suno, rosa rakta vakt, tum apne karabar mamul ke mutabik chala kar apne mazduron, Ko dabaye rakte ho. Na sirf ye balki, tum rosa rakne ke sat sat jagati alarti biho. Tum ek dusre ko shararit ke muke marne se bi nahi chakte. Ye kesi bate. Agar tum yun rosa rakte, to is ki tawoko nahi kar sakte hai. Tumare bat asman to poncha. Kia, muje is kisum ke rosa pesante. Kya ya kafi ke? Kiband apne apko kuch der keliye kaksar bana kar in kasari ka izar kare. Kiva apne sarko abhi nasa ki tara jakahar. Tat arak me let jaya. Kya tum wakai samaj te hokui. Yaroza he. Ki ese vakt ka rab ko pasante. Yakis tara ho sakte he. Joroza me pasan kartahun wa farke. Hakiki Rosa ya he kitope and safe ki zanjeron me jakare huan korea kare. Mazluman ka jua hataya kuchle huan ko azad kare. Harjue ko tore. Buke ko apne kane me sharik kare. Beggar muse batsara ko pane de. Barana ke kapre panaye or apne rishte dar ki madad kane ze garus nakare. Agar tu ese kare, to tu sub ki pale, kenan ki tarab jamak utega. Ar tere zak, 
और तेरे जख्म जले पड़ेंगे तब तेरे आसपास तेरे आगे आगे चलेंगे और रब का जलाल तेरे पीछे तेरे हिफाजत करेगा तब तू फरियाद करेगा और रब जवाब देगा जब तू मदाद के लिए पुकारेगा तो वो फरमाएगा मैं हजीर हूँ अपने दरमियान दूसरा पर जुआ उंगलियां उठाने और दूसरों की बदनाम करने का सिलसिला खत्म कर बुके को आपने रोटी दे और मुसलाम की जरूरत पड़ेगा फिर तेरे रोशनी अंधेरे में चमक उठेगी और तेरे रात दोपहर की तरह रोशन होगी दिस इज दर्ड आई अप्रिशिएट दैट Uh, it is awesome to continue to hear God's word in all the languages that are in this church. It's awesome. You know what I'm missing though? Where's my Ilocano and Tagalog folks? Man, we need we need you. All right, we need you. I, I want to hear it. It's uh, I feel like home. All right, cool. Hey, uh, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of your pastors here. It's exciting to be back with you. Been gone for a while. Some of you are like, I don't know who this guy is. That's totally fine. It's all right. I was gone for the summer. Um, I've got a couple of family business things, and then we'll do our kind of welcome and walk into the sermon. Uh, first and foremost, if you haven't heard this, you haven't seen it, we are going to Israel. The, uh, the time is getting short to sign up, so please make sure that you do that. It's going to be incredible. We're trying to make sure. We are going to open it up to other churches And uh, we believe that they will also fill it up. So we're trying to make sure that our peeps get first shot at it. So if you're, if you're thinking about it, if you have any questions, come talk to me. You can grab one of these. I believe they're on the table, the Next Steps table outside in the lawn and also in the little alcove uh, there. You can grab that. Secondly, we are a church that plants churches. We raise up and send out church planters. It's a big deal for us. One of the things you guys got to see over the summer is that we had five different residents who were training uh, to learn how to preach because they're wrestling with whether or not God's call is on their life for church planting, right? That's a really good thing. Uh, and we believe that God has called us to help uh, continue to plant churches throughout the valley. That's a big deal for us because we believe that if the valley becomes uh, apprentices of Jesus, all of LA becomes apprentices of Jesus. Amen? That's a Christianese word just meaning, I, yes, I agree. All right, amen, good. Uh, so here's the deal. That means that part of our uh, DNA is that we will raise people up and send them out. And so while that's like, yay, that sounds awesome until you have to let somebody go, right? And so uh, we're coming to that season for us again. And so the Fordinals will be leaving us at the end of the month and they will be uh, heading out to help with the church plant in Pasadena, And so while it is an awesome thing, uh, yeah, we can clap for that. That's great. <laughs> Obviously, it's also a bittersweet thing. We'll miss them. We love them. They've been a great part of our church. Uh, that being said, uh, so, you know, it's, it's out in the open. Everybody knows about it. It's great. You can talk about it. Um, but we're also looking for a worship, full-time worship position. So if you know somebody, we would love to help you understand what our, uh, what our ideal for that is. is, but feel free to talk to uh, Chris and Lauren about them taking off. Good? Everybody got that? Like I said, bittersweet. It's always going to be sweet and good, and people will, people will leave. You guys are used to it. It's L.A., right? I think the average church loses, or L.A. even loses, 33% a year turnover. Uh, it's, just, it's just the way that it works. Everybody comes with an idea that they can make it in L.A., and you guys know how hard it is to make it here in Los Angeles. So, all right. 
Good. Well, we're stoked you're part of the family. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. We say Burbank because we are launching a church in Granada Hills. We believe it will be launched in September. So if you're on the core team, give me a clap. Yeah. I didn't say overdo it, Samir. Relax. Talk about sending and bittersweet. Uh, but look, Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. And so the more that churches that we plant, the more churches we help plant that even aren't even ours, the more that we raise up and send out planters, the more that we're able to impact communities in healthy ways with healthy relationships with Jesus and others. And the reason behind this is Jesus said there was two commands that were more important than anything else, to love God with everything we are and he said, the same, uh, in the same way, love our neighbors. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But we're learning to do it together as a family. Now, we're in our second week of a series called Spiritual Fitness. Pastor Samir launched us last week, and we are studying spiritual disciplines. Now, a spiritual discipline is any habit or activity that helps us, or an activity that helps us make a habit out of learning how to love God and love people. It's something that puts us into that regular practice. But before we continue, I want to lay down. Um, I, I want to lay down our service for the moment and stop and pray. Uh, we don't do this enough. A prayer is an imperative for us as a church. And so we wanted to make sure that prayer doesn't become something that's just a transition time in the service, but something that's really valuable to us. Now, some of you know that one of our primary focuses as a church is foster care and adoption. That's a big deal for us, and so to that end, we're going to be using an excerpt from the prayer guide by our friends over at Family Table. So would you bow your heads and pray with me for just a few moments? Father God, we, we know that foster care adoption is a huge issue in your heart. Your word says that we have been adopted as sons and daughters for those who apprentice you. And you don't treat us like stepchildren, but you make us co-heirs with your son, Jesus. What an incredible thing that is. And yet, Lord, we know that your church is the primary tool, the, the, the way that you uh, impact this world. And we know that Los Angeles has one of the highest rates of children in the foster care system. Lord, it's staggering the numbers. We know that few Children who age out of the foster care system survive. Many of them end up, they do survive in prisons, in addiction, Lord. And so we ask that you would continue to raise up your people to meet needs inside the foster care system. Lord, to help redeem and restore the lives of biofamilies so that biofamilies, Lord, have the capacity and the ability to bring their children back home to healthy environments. Lord, we ask that those children would experience your love in ways that maybe they haven't before, that you would protect them I pray that those who have been recently introduced to the foster care system, Lord, that you would still their confusion, the overwhelmness, Lord, the sorrow, the, the, the trauma that they are going through, that you would provide peace, Lord, where it doesn't make sense. Your word talks about a peace that goes beyond understanding. Would you bring that peace into their hearts, into their lives? Would you be their peace and their hope? 
Father, I pray that you would, many of us were never taught how to um, communicate our needs or wants in healthy ways. Many of us saw only unfortunate coping mechanisms, and so we ask that you would break generational bondages, that you would break those, um, the things that they have seen, and that you would allow for healthy communication of needs and wants. That you would provide opportunity for them, Lord, to, to, to be able to express who they are and what they need and the ways they want, but also to understand what's appropriate and know how to ask for things that are good. Lord, we know that you are a good and faithful father, and so we ask that you would help us to learn how to model good, faithful, and healthy parenting. Again, we pray for those bio families that you would bring restoration, hope, and healing. Lord, I pray for those that do make it into the foster adoptive parent realm that those kids would be able to feel comfortable to trust their resources, that you would raise up more and more healthy families so that they could see good coping skills, good coping mechanisms, so they could see you on display in relationships. We love you and praise you. We pray that you would do a mighty, crazy, God-sized, impossible thing in this county. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to get into spiritual disciplines, but uh, before we do, I do want to lay a little bit of a ground rule down, and that is when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are not about earning favor with God, okay? It's not to be more holy. It's not to be more righteous looking. It really has everything to do with practicing how to fall in love with God and to love others. Those two commands Jesus said all the scriptures are summed up in. And and to that end, to help us understand this ground rule, Jesus told a story about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And he talks about how she frantically searches the house until she finds it. And when she finds it, it's a celebration for her. It's not a small thing. It's a big deal. And it's actually one of three stories, three parables that Jesus told that are put all together, and it's to emphasize several different lessons. But one of the lessons in particular is that like us, the coin didn't do anything to be found. The coin couldn't make itself found. In fact, the coin couldn't make itself valuable either. The value of the coin was made by the person who struck the coin, the person who created the coin. In the same way God searches for us and finds us, the Bible describes God as a pursuant God, a God who humiliates himself to come to us, which is incredible. He finds us and he declares us valuable. And so our value, our worth is based on who God is and what God has done, not who we are or what we have done. And so if that's true, then spiritual disciplines are not about being more righteous or holy, but about training our spiritual bodies. Now, You can live life without going to the gym, right? Say yes, Jonas. All right, Jonas is like, I don't know. (laughs) You can live life without going to the gym. However, if you go to the gym, you can have a healthier and possibly longer life, right? Yeah, so you can do it without it, but there is something that is to be gained from it. Uh, The verse that Samir read from last uh, last week was that uh, it's, there is some value to training our physical bodies, but there is even more value in training our spiritual ones. And so spiritual disciplines for us is a way to train our spiritual bodies. It's a healthiness thing for us. It allows us to get better. Okay, good so far? 
All right, good. You guys are with me. I like it. Okay. Uh, Spiritual disciplines can be broken up into two categories, a category of abstinence and a category of engagement, abstinence and engagement. Uh, Dictionary.com defines abstinence as the fact or practice of restraining oneself. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you just said right there. What is restraint? No, restraining oneself is about restraining. It's not restraining order. Some of you have that with your exes. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, restraining oneself from indulging in something. And engagement as a pledge or obligation or agreement. So a spiritual practice that has us abstain from something means we are giving up something intentionally And a discipline of engagement means that we are committing to do something in the place of what we gave up. So abstinence and engagement together. Let me give you kind of a personal example of this. Uh, Some of you guys who are married know this. Uh, My wife is a much better multitasker than I am. Okay, doesn't matter what I want to believe about myself. I am not a good a multitasker as my wife. And we'll often have a conversation and my wife will be texting at the same time. Not my favorite thing in the world, but because I'm so terrible at it, sometimes I assume she's terrible at it too. And so I'm like, what are you doing? But she has the ability to like split her mind in those ways and, and be able to do both text me, text somebody and listen to me at the same time. But listen, there's something that's so much more meaningful when she stops texting for a minute, abstinence, and focuses her attention on what I'm saying engagement. And so the abstinence makes the engagement that much better. She's, she was engaging with me from the beginning, but the fact that she took a moment to stop what she was doing and pay attention means something. It's powerful and effective. And so spiritual disciplines work best for us when we practice combining a discipline of abstinence with a discipline of engagement. So this week, we're talking about For our discipline of abstinence, it's fasting. And for our discipline of engagement, it's feasting. Now, how can you fast and feast at the same time? I'll get to it, I promise. Um, So we need to understand what is fasting if we're going to talk about that, and then we'll get into what is feasting. Fasting is primarily about self-denial, giving up something for self. Usually it's food, but it doesn't have to be. Now, there is a huge difference between spiritual fasting and intermittent fasting. There's a huge difference between fasting and dieting. Totally different. Fasting is to deny ourselves in order to focus on God and others. That's spiritual fasting. This helps us promote spiritual growth and advances the kingdom of God while dieting promotes physical weight loss. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. But one focus is outside of self and one focus is inside of self. See the difference? It's an imperative. So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here. The practice of fasting was uh, all throughout scripture. It was commonplace, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus practices and speaks of fasting on several different occasions. And along with giving and prayer, fasting is one of the three main types of righteous acts that Jews would engage in in order to become godlier. It was a normal ritual of life, a normal, regular spiritual practice for them. But just like today, they often miss the point of why, the why behind it, the heart behind it, just like we do. If you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. Fasting is a stark and uncomfortable reminder that it's not about us. 
Fasting is a stark and uncomfortable reminder that it's not about us. You're like, wait a minute. Fasting is all about you, right? It doesn't affect anybody else. Listen, I get grumpy, grumpy when I don't eat. I get hangry. Anybody else hangry? So it definitely affects other people. But that's not what we're talking about here. In Jesus' day, fasting had become something that was like a show in order to show people how spiritual you were and how holy you were, how mature you were. And actually, in doing so, it actually became about them instead of about God. It's crazy how we can do things for God that end up being more about ourselves than about him. So let's go back and look at our scripture that Wade read this morning. Isaiah 58, 3 through 10, it says this. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please in the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will a fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him and not ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry to satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine like the darkness and your night will be like the noonday. This is a conversation between God and the people of Israel. And they had been disobedient. God had warned them over and over and over again, your hearts are going the wrong direction. You need to stop. You need to focus on me. The outcome of your actions and behaviors is horrific. It's, it's harming all kinds of people, including yourselves. And they won't listen. And so finally, God, to get their attention, says, all right, I'm going to allow a neighboring country to come in and take you over. They get exiled from their homeland. And in this way, they come back to God and they're like, well, all we have to do is these religious practices. If we just act holy, then God will change his heart and his mind and he'll let us go home. And so they're doing these religious things, but they're complaining that no matter what they do, it's like God isn't answering them. God's not listening to them and they're getting frustrated. In verse three, specifically, they say, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Now, this isn't written like a question. This isn't like a, hey, God, I, mm, I was just wondering. This is accusatory. This is like, this is, God, you owe us. Don't you know who we are and what we've done for you? God's like, oh, yeah, trust me, exactly who you are, and I know exactly what you're doing. Where's our reward, God? We did all the things that you told us to do. And God responds back by saying, look, I, I don't care about your superficial junk you're doing right now. Verse five, well, the fast I choose to be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, like, hey, you're taking a break from all of your wicked, horrible ways, and you take one day, you set it aside to act holy. You think that means something to me? That you just took a day off? To bow your head like a reed, so you're going to pretend to be humble for today. To spread out sackcloth and ashes, you're going to pretend to repent for just today. You're going to call this a fast acceptable to me, 
God, you, you think, like, I don't see the rest of it? And so God's accusing them, putting on an outward show for people so that they look righteous. But he says, look, I know what's in your hearts. And he calls out their behavior as proof. He says, look, I can show you the outcome of what you're doing. I show you, I'll show you exactly what is happening in your heart that's coming out in your actions. And he says, it would actually be a sacrifice if you did something that changed your behaviors. That would be a sacrifice. Let's see what you do lead to justice and mercy because God is a God of justice and mercy. And so after condemning their idea of fasting, God defines his idea of legitimate and effective fasting for them. He says, wouldn't this be the fast I choose? Isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness? To untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see them and not ignore your own flesh and blood? You see, the issue at hand here is what they're choosing to engage in and what they're choosing to abstain from. They're engaging in religious activity and practice, but they're abstaining from loving people and living justly. The emphasis isn't just on justice, but he's saying that if you live in a way where God is the focus of your heart, then you can't help but live in a just manner. This is, we talk about this all the time. If, you're, if you've been to this church for a while, you, we, you've heard us talk about this. The heart behind what we do, right? And, and, and the, the idea of living in a way where we are loving towards everybody, living in a way where God changes uh, the motivations of our heart when the way that we live it out towards other people is a big deal. We talk about uh, uh, racial injustice and the ways that, that we love people, all people, because we want to be a Revelation chapter 7 type of church because that's what the church is where all tongues, tribes, and nations are worshiping before God. And the truth is, is that if we get stuck in this place of just accepting that some people are treated differently and some aren't, then we haven't done anything because acknowledging that there's an issue isn't actually moving on the issue. And Jesus says, look, the problem is you're, you're, you're pretending that you've made change. You're pretending you're doing something by acknowledging this issue, but the truth is that your actions haven't shown anything. You want to see action change, then, then let's see. You invite these people that are different than you in your home, the homeless, the, the feeding the naked, doing something. Don't just talk about it, do it. He's saying these are the outcomes of a changed heart. Now again, he, he's not naming these things and saying you have to do these specific things. He's saying these are the outcomes when our heart is right before God. Does that make sense? You guys with me still? So the point isn't to create another thing to do, but the point is to change the way that they think and the motivation behind our actions. And so according to God, fasting must be connected to behavior that loves God and loves people. That's what fasting is all about. We see this in the words that God gives to the prophet Micah. Micah 6, 6 to 8 says, what shall I bring before God when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn, firstborn for my sins, transgressions, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
The prophet is laying out increasingly expensive, increasingly costly things you can give to God. He starts with burnt offering, goes to a young calf, gets into all the way to 1,000 rams or 10,000 streams of oil. He gets to the place where he's like, how about the most costly, my child? But he rejects all of that and shows us the message is consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. That God is more concerned about our hearts behind our actions and about us loving God and loving people first and primarily. And so anything that we do, including spiritual disciplines, must not be done out of obligation to God or to make us look good, but be done truly and purely out of love for Jesus and people, especially when we do things for those who cannot pay us back or give us recognition for what we do for them. The exploited the marginalized, those in need. True self-denial means helping others and is dedicated to becoming other-centered rather than self-centered. Do you see the connection to fasting we're talking about here? In his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, Pastor Tim Keller says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself, but thinking of myself less. Look, giving up food is difficult, but it's a small way to train to begin thinking less of our own needs and more about the needs of others. It's just a small sacrifice. If you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. We're going to move into feasting. Feasting is both celebrating and participating in what feeds our soul. It's both celebrating and participating in what feeds our soul. Would you take a look at a passage with me in the book of Deuteronomy? Some of you are like, Deuteronomy, what the heck? Old Testament, right? It's one of the five books Moses wrote called the Pentateuch. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 23 to 27, it says this. It's one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. You're going to find out why here shortly. Here we go. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine and fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. Okay, that's a tithe, the tenth, right? In the presence of the Lord your God. So you're not just taking it for yourself. You're eating in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. But God is a gracious God. If the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where your Lord God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, then exchange it for silver, take the silver in your hand, and go to the place God chooses. You may spend the silver on anything you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer. Wait a minute, we're Baptist. Um, Or anything else you desire. You are to feast there, You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. The rejoicing and the feasting go together. Do not neglect the Levite within your city gates since he has no portion or inheritance among you. Okay, there are two very important lessons here in the scripture. First, in the middle of talking about sacrificing and and giving back to God, God clarifies what he wants isn't about their money but about their hearts. He wants them to be people who enjoy and celebrate him even in their sacrifice. He's saying your sacrifice should even be something that's enjoyable. It should be something you're enjoying too. 
And secondly, this is a very important lesson. Verse 27, when you throw a party, do not forget to invite and take care of the Levite. That's their pastors, okay? So if you're going to throw a party, the Bible says, don't forget to invite me. Make sure we got that down. Right? So wait, God wants us to party it up? Yes. But not in a self-centered manner. We do this by honoring God and giving him credit and thanks for what we have and ensuring that we are extremely generous, extravagantly generous, generous to the point of inconvenience to the people around us. Did you catch this? That fasting and feasting are both about the position or the posture of our hearts towards God and towards people. It's the reason behind these spiritual disciplines that either makes fasting or feasting pleasing to God. It's not the act itself. One of the expectations that we have as as leaders of this church is that we would all here be generous to the point of inconvenience. You're like, oh, is that it? No. No, in fact, we want to go farther than that. We want to learn how to do everything we do inconveniently to honor God. That whether we're partying, whether we're hanging out, whether we're having a potluck, whether we're driving home, whether somebody cuts us off, that everything we do is to offer inconvenient grace to people. It costs me something to be generous. You know what? I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to let this person in, even though they were a jerk to me on the five north, and it's, right? Like, that's every day, but it's okay. (laughs) How come nobody waves? Like, you let them in, and it's like no one gives the little, like, hey, thank you, I appreciate it. You do? Okay, well, thank you, Jesus. There's one person in L.A. that... <laughs> right? Like, just a little bit. Uh, and, and just fr- a note from a biker, please, it is absolutely legal to split lanes for us, so please stop trying to hit me with your cars. I greatly appreciate living to preach another day. So, <laughs> anyway. All right. So either way, whatever we do has to be about honoring and lifting up and glorifying God. And God's like, look, you don't have to have this sour expression all the time. You don't have to be so serious as Christians. Like, I want you celebrating. It's a good thing to celebrate and enjoy God. He goes, "Just, just give me credit. Give me credit that you have reason to celebrate. Give me credit that I'm the one that allowed you to be in this place to enjoy something anyway. I created all of it. I know how good it is. Just give me credit. Glorify him. Anytime that we celebrate and we don't give God credit for it, it becomes the opportunity for us to be gluttonous with it. We're doing this for our own nature. We're doing this for ourselves. It becomes about feeding us instead of bringing him glory. Thank you. I believe it is. Absolutely. When we ignore the spiritual development in our life, we leave a huge portion of ourselves undeveloped and weak. Spiritual disciplines are an imperative. You know, this is off script, but here's just a practical thing for me in my life. One of the things I've noticed that God does, anybody ever been into like a walk-in pantry? Because you guys know what I'm talking about? And in the old days, they used to have like a pull string for the light that hung down, right? Oftentimes, the way that I would describe my relationship with God is that um, the rituals, the things that we go through regularly, it's like walking into that thing in the dark and you already know where the pull string is. You walk in, you pull it, you get your late night snack, and you walk out. And every so often, God moves the light on us. So we walk in, we go to pull it, and we're like, wait, wait, what? Where is it? And there's this little bit of like searching that comes from it. Like, where is this? And it gets us to refocus and pay attention. It's not like God took the light away. What he did was allow us to search a little bit more for him. It brings us back into this, like, I'm not doing this as a ritual. I'm not doing this as a routine. I'm doing this because I really care to see you. 
In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he enters this fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Now listen, uh, the, the Bible talks about Satan showing up to tempt him right after that. Jesus is definitely thinking about food after 40 days and 40 nights, right? And the first thing that Satan does is he says, hey Jesus, I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into loaves of bread? And here is how Jesus responds. Matthew four, verse four. Jesus, he answered, it is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We are spiritual beings, not just physical beings. There is a part of us that always feels like it's lacking if we're not pouring into it because we are holistic. We are not made just purely physical. We are spiritual in addition to physical. We need to live by spiritual food too, which Jesus says are the words of God. So how do we feast on scripture? One practical example for us would be meditate on scripture. That word meditate is all throughout the Bible. Meliteo or meditate means something different than, uh, than meditation that's like clearing your mind. It's totally different. Meditation in the biblical sense means caring for, attending to, practicing, or being diligent. It is purposefully pondering or imagining. It's thinking about something with such intensity and specificity and uh, carefulness that it's all that we are paying attention to and it's from more than just a brief moment. The Bible says that is the way we are to meditate on the word of God. And so as we learn scripture and read it and meditate on it, we begin to see the goal, as John Ortberg says, is not for us to get through the scriptures but for the scriptures to get through us. This allows us to have a heart of gratitude that helps us to love God and others more than we want to. We need to slow down, read a smaller portion of scripture and ask God, what do you want to say to me in this passage? And one great way to do that, if you're unfamiliar with this, many of us are new to the Bible, new to this Jesus thing. One great way is to take a verse or two and work throughout the day to memorize it. Just keep bringing it up, especially if it involves an issue you're struggling with. For example, if you've been accused of being arrogant or cocky lately and you're wondering, is this true or am I, maybe it is true and you're dealing with it, then something like this, Matthew 20, 25 to 28, where Jesus says, it says, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Asking God to speak to you about that verse. If you're struggling with arrogance and meditating on Scripture will help you see and understand the Bible's view of humility and hear what God wants you to do about it. The Scripture will actually speak into your heart, into your soul, because the Bible says that God's Word is alive, it's living and breathing. If you're taking notes today, this is the third and final observation for the day. The best fasting comes with the best feasting. The best fasting comes with the best feasting. It's not just knowledge of the Bible that is important. It's the renewing of our minds. When we put true and godly fasting into practice and let the Bible change our minds about what's important to God instead of to what's important to us, we'll have healthy changes in our thinking and our perspectives. And fasting is important because it helps us train to get the focus off of ourselves. Look, it's not easy to stop thinking about your stomach or your headache or how grumpy you are when, you're, when you don't eat. But training to do that through fasting actually helps us to see what is more important. 
The book of James says, don't merely listen to the word, actually do what it says. But we only know what it says if we read it and study it, right? It's hard though. It's hard to read it, to study it, to put it it into practice, but it doesn't happen just by osmosis, right? Just like in high school, putting it under your pillow did not help you pass the test. Same way that putting it under your pillow, putting it on on the coffee table does not help you know God's word. But when we do, when we combine fasting and combine feasting, when we train together, we'll be amazed at how healthy our relationships with God and people become. So this week, I want to challenge you. I have homework for you. Plan a fast and plan a feast. Again, neither one has to be food related. But plan a fast this week. Plan a fast for, uh, feast for next week. Fast this week. Feast next week. When you do, look at our scriptures for the day and ask God what he would prefer your fast to be like. And I'm suggesting you do it in this order because when you fast first, when you come to your feast, there's so much more to be thankful for. As you seek to honor God in your heart through your party, it's a good thing. Don't forget to invite me. But if if, if, as you go through this, I want you to share your experience with somebody. It's called testimony. Invite somebody into party with you. Celebrate together the reasons that you are feasting And it helps us to learn and grow in gospel community. Good? All right. So fast this week, feast next week. Have some fun. Glorify God in the midst of it. We're going to have a good time as a church. God's going to be honored and glorified. It's awesome. If you want to know more about what I talked about today, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to know about baptism, you just have questions and want to be prayed for, please find somebody in the pink lanyard. They're usually by the next steps tables. Again, one on the lawn, one in the lobby. They would love to pray with you and talk with you. We love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you for the ways that you love us, that the fact that you are a pursuant God, that we don't have to try and find our way to you, but you find us right where we are at. That we don't set our value. Our value is not determined by what others say about us, but our value is also not determined by what we think about ourselves. Our value is determined by who you are and what you have done. God, you are gracious and kind and loving, and we want to be followers of you in ways that bring you honor and glory. And Lord, for the times and ways we don't want to do that, would you change our hearts and minds as we work to know and understand and love you more in Jesus' name.